Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, a senior writer with the ABA Journal. Today I'm speaking with Richard Suskind, who's in London. He's a lawyer, author, and technology expert who has written 10 books about the future of the legal profession. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you, Stephanie. It's good to be with you. What I want to ask you first off, can you tell me, is there like one big thing that makes you optimistic about the practice of law? My optimism derives from my main aim in life, which is to try and make the law and dispute resolution more accessible to the ordinary person, and indeed to businesses too. So from the point of view of the recipients of legal services, the ideas that I and others have had about using technology actually present a very rosy future indeed. Interesting. What's the main thing that makes you pessimistic about the practice? I think perhaps the pessimism lies in relation to those lawyers who are unwilling to change, because it does seem to me as we move into the 20s that unless you're adaptable, unless you're entrepreneurial, unless you really are prepared to embrace technology, then there's a rather grim future ahead for legal practitioners. And would you say, since you started writing books about the profession, is technology the biggest instigator that you have seen? In the early days, I think I wouldn't have said that. Uh, What I've said for a number of years is that cost pressures are actually one of the biggest drivers of change as clients from small businesses right through to very large businesses say they want to pay less and yet have more legal service. I call it the more for less challenge. It's that appetite or that desire, that drive towards the reduction of the cost of legal service that I think is going to shift the market. The second big driver of change is new competition. We're very definitely seeing the big four accounting firms returning to the legal world. We're seeing legal tech startups in far greater quantity in the past. We're seeing in-house legal departments build their own legal departments very largely, and this is a competitor to conventional law firms. And so if you combine this idea that there's new competitors in a market where there's great cost pressures, then that creates, it seems to me, a marketplace ripe for change. If you overlay or underpin technology with all of this, you see transformation in the wind. And that's why I see we'll see over the next 20 years more change in the legal market than we've seen in the past two centuries. So technology is a catalyst. It's an enabler. It's not the only one. It's one of three main drivers of change. I have a question about direct services. I feel like we have seen so much in the past decade and that consumers frequently just cannot afford to hire an attorney. And attorneys can't afford to charge what a consumer could afford to pay. Is this how it's going to be? Or do you see it ever swinging back and that middle class people will be able to afford attorneys? You make an assumption there that the way to resolve a legal problem, the way to understand one's legal entitlements is to go to an attorney. And I want to challenge that because I Mm. think that the old way of working, that's the the lawyer or the legal service as as an ancient craft. What we're seeing around the world, for example, in the area of disputes is a great interest in underlying dispute resolution where rather than physically congregating in courts and instructing lawyers, one might instead have an online dialogue with the other side and the judge and in a quicker, less costly, less confrontational, more intuitive way, resolve a dispute more rapidly. 
It's the same with online legal service, this idea that one can go online, be asked a series of questions, and out will come some kind of diagnosis of your legal position, or indeed out might come a polished draft of a document. So for me, the answer to the question of access to justice is not to make lawyers more affordable, it's fundamentally to change the way in which the average person gains access to legal insight, and I believe that's through internet-based services. Supported, I should say, by artificial intelligence. The phrase I use to capture the whole thing is that our systems are becoming increasingly capable, and we're seeing this in law. We're seeing systems taking on tasks that just a couple of years ago we thought could only be undertaken by intelligent human lawyers. Okay. Sometimes you hear from attorneys that we're always going to need attorneys to get clients to act reasonable particularly in matters involving, say, family law or personal things that have a lot of emotions in them. Do you agree with that? Not entirely. Indeed, it's often been said that when you put your problems in the hands of lawyers, and this is not a criticism of lawyers, it's the nature of the process, often the problems escalate unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. What I've always been keen on in the work I've been doing in online courts is dispute containment rather than dispute resolution. I think it's a very broad assumption to make that the only way one can actually contain problems or deal with them on an interpersonal relationship is by engaging lawyers. And increasingly, we're seeing in our courts over here, both the judges and practitioners are looking at different ways of helping people with very acute family difficulties. You know the old phrase of Abraham Maslow, he says, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, if you're a lawyer, everything does look a little like a legal problem. And my challenge to the profession is that we can find new and different and better ways of delivering these services. You use technology in doing so, but it's not technology simply to automate the old way of working, what I sometimes call mess for less. It's using technology to allow us to deliver services that in the past couldn't be delivered at all. And so that's the challenge. I I do find when lawyers are skeptical of what I say, they think, well, how can what I do be in some sense computerized? That's not the question. The question is, can the outcome that I as a human lawyer ordinarily deliver, might that be delivered entirely new ways using technology? I see. You wrote The Future of the Professions with your son. What prompted that? Sorry, the, the background to Dan and I, he's, a, he's an economist. Uh, he teaches in Oxford. And the background to our collaboration, which was a five-year collaboration, was that he was working in Number 10 Downing Street as a policy advisor to the Prime Minister, working in areas such as health policy and education policy, legal policy and technology policy. And when we started chatting about the issues the country was facing, we found it overlapped with the kinds of issues I was facing as an advisor to law firms, accounting firms, and so forth. And our combined sense was that there was fundamental change at play in the way in which professionals work. And more than that, there were emerging entirely new ways of delivering the solutions for which in the past the only answer has been the human professionals. So Dan and I decided to join forces, do a lot of research into what was actually happening at the leading edge, speak to the disruptors, speak to the market leaders, speak to users as well. And we came up with a thesis about the future of the professions. And the thesis basically is that we will see technology, of course, automating the way that professionals have traditionally worked. But actually, more importantly, we'll see technology not complementing, but substituting, replacing some, but not all of the tasks of professionals. And in the 20s, our thesis is, is, this is not the decade of doom and gloom and unemployment, it's the decade of redeployment, by which we mean that there'll be plenty of work for professionals to do if they're prepared to be involved, not so much with traditional service, but helping build the systems upon which 
our clients in the future will rely. That's a job for professionals, and you're seeing that happening with the accounting firms and tax and audit and consulting and so forth. They're building the systems that, in a sense, will eventually replace them. So too in law. When are you planning to write your next book? I'm always writing a book. It's a painful process, though. It's likely that my next book will be called uh, The Case for Online Courts. I've just published the second edition of my book, Tomorrow's Lawyers. That was the short, inexpensive book that I wrote uh, for students. I was thinking students should really understand what's happening in the legal marketplace, and they're not really getting that much guidance from professors. So I wrote this book, and as I say, short and inexpensive, and it turns out that practitioners like a, a short, cheap book too. And that was published in 2013, but what's terribly significant for this conversation is that within three years, the whole thing was largely out of date. So I had to write a new book to take account of the many changes we've seen. And so I say in the book, we're only a few years into my 20-year prediction of fundamental transformation, and already we're seeing some fairly amazing developments in technology. So the second edition of that's just out, and I'm turning now, as I'm quite heavily involved actually in trying to introduce online courts, I'm turning now to the idea of writing a relatively short polemic on why it is that a better way of running state-based dispute resolution is largely using technology rather than the traditional methods. I see. That's everything I want to ask you today. Would you like to add anything else? No, I just to say, I, I really enjoy reading about the rebels, but the term rebel is an interesting one because I've never self-consciously tried to rebel. My interest <laughs> is in different ways of delivering legal services, not intentionally to annoy or replace lawyers, but just to say that the law is our most important form of social control. seems to me an absolute tragedy that around the world, most people can't actually afford to understand and enforce their entitlements. And my aim is to try and use technology, at least for ordinary citizens, to improve this access to law and for major businesses to reduce the, the cost, the friction costs of instruction lawyers. We can do a far better job. So it's not in any sense to intentionally to remove lawyers is to say to lawyers, you need to change. You need to be actively involved in the development of the systems that will sort out the problems that historically could only be sorted out by human beings. So there's never been a more exciting time to be involved, it seems to me, in law and in legal technology. I see. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a great pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and you've been listening to the ABA Journal's Legal Rebel Trailblazer podcast series. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, Find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.